Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy Literacy Podcast. We are very excited about our guest today because he's a very successful and entrepreneur despite all of the literacy challenges that he has um, overcome throughout his life. And um, just recently, due to the literacy documentary um, that he is participating in that we posted a podcast about before previously, um, he has really learned to read. And um, he's not a young buck. I'm going to say that. So not because you don't look young, David, though, but just because I know I asked you how old you were. So, um, (laughs) so, (laughs) Melissa, I'm wondering what your thoughts are going into this podcast. Well, just super excited. I mean, I was so excited to talk about the Truth About Reading documentary with our our friends. Um, And I'm excited to keep diving into some of the stories that are within that documentary, which is really exciting. And then... I think just hearing more, like hearing John Corcoran's story and now hearing David's story today, I think it's, it's just so powerful when you think of, you know, all the conversations out there today around the science of reading and are our students really getting what they need in school to become successful readers. And now with the conversation around the unfinished learning that happened from yeah. COVID last year, I just think this is like, these stories are so powerful. <laughs> and to hear mm-hmm. someone who went from, you know, not getting what they needed to learning throughout their adult life, what they did, what they missed. I think it's just really powerful. So I'm excited to hear from David and his story. Thank you. Yeah. So David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for oh, being thank here. You. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This is, uh, this is, it makes me a little nervous, but uh, <laughs> that's all part of helping other people. You've got to be willing to put yourself out there and let them see the challenges you go through and what you're willing to deal with and what the possibilities are if you do that. Yep. Well, we thank you for embracing this opportunity, even though it's nerve wracking. And I imagine the documentary might have been more nerve wracking. I'm not sure. Was that more nerve wracking? <laughs> I think when I broke down in the middle of it, maybe my nerves were getting. <laughs> but I saw what was changing inside of me for the better mm. so quickly with what Nora was doing for me. But overall, because it was such a positive, mind blowing experience in such a short amount of time. I wasn't wasn't nervous at all. I was my challenge, and Nora seems to think differently. I'd be the first person who ever went through her program that completely flunked out because that's my oh. life story of school. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can't wait to hear your story in just a moment or just a little bit. But I also want to welcome Nora back to the podcast. Welcome, Nora. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. So we're going to ask each of you just to tell us a little bit about yourselves. And Nora, you can give us like the quick Reader's Digest version since we already know you from a previous podcast. And um, we want our listeners to know who they're listening to. So David, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, My name is David Chalk. I am a serial entrepreneur, um, probably more so by need than by desire. Um, my school life, unfortunately, was very challenging. Prior to going into grade one, as my mother told me, I was the happiest, easygoing, go lucky, laughing child you could ever imagine. I believed well ahead of what would be potentially my grade level because um, there, 
I just enjoyed. I was just open to everything in learning. When I went into school, I can literally remember day one of grade one when the teacher asked me a few questions and was sort of testing the children. And by their books, I failed on reading, writing, and spelling, even though it was not a test. It was just some verbal questions, and the class started laughing at me. And I think that was a turning point for the rest of my life, because from that day forward, um, my life was, i say it, a living hell. Um, I have acute dyslexia, ADHD. I wasn't diagnosed until I was 40 years of age. So therefore, you could say I was a person who just thought life was hard. Fortunately, I worked really hard in school, but I couldn't make it. A C minus was probably the best I ever got. I never really turned on school in such a way to quit or give up on it or get angry about it, even though I was tormented in class, bullied, absolutely humiliated in front of the class. It wasn't the teacher's fault. They didn't understand that they would always point me out, put my name on the board, put me in the corner and... um, turn my back to the class, send me to the principal's office to get the strap for not paying attention. And because of all of that, obviously, I I missed out on a lot of whatever it was they were teaching to read. But because it wasn't sinking in, because I could not come from paper, looking at something on paper and getting it into my mind, um, reading failed me. And long and short of it is I graduated barely. I was voted (laughs) ceremoniously least likely person to ever succeed from a school that was about 150 years old. And um, I guess in some way, some redemption, 25 years later, I went back to my high school reunion and um, I was told I was the most successful person to ever graduate from that high school because of what I did in my life by facing adversity and risk. I could have done a lot better if I could have read, read and written and spelled, but I think what I would like to get across to people, we need to change the system. We need systems and training like what Nora has. But for those people out there that are suffering in life, I want them to know in the meantime that their desire to want to get ahead and what they've gone through in their life puts them in a category of willing to risk and willing to push. And if there's anything that I can tell uh, people who are having a challenge in life is to go for it and you know, that that's, there's two parts to this one. How did I get where I got? I still don't understand, but it was just <sighs> sheer <laughs> determination because fighting, you know, my childhood and then the magic that occur, could occur in children and adults, if they were taught how to read, write and spell properly, it would be magic to the world. Mm-hmm. We agree, David, very much. <laughs> Melissa, did you want to ask a question? I, Melissa and I can well, read each other pretty well, so I can see that she wants to. Like, I'm like, ask do I question. dive in now, or do we let Nora introduce herself again and then dive I in know. later? Let's I, let Nora like... introduce herself first, and then we'll come back. Okay. Um, hi, guys. I'm Nora Shabazi, and I feel nauseated after listening to David. And I think after almost 25 years of teaching teachers and children and adults that in. Um, have suffered, the teachers including, um, that I would get over this emotional reaction to hearing this story repeated thousands and tens of thousands of times, but apparently I'm not quite there yet. But um, I um, am am the founder of EBLE, Evidence-Based Literacy Instruction, and it's a system of literacy, reading, writing, and spelling instruction where we train teachers, 
have student lessons to teach anybody and everybody to get to their highest potential in reading, writing, and spelling. And I really have, I used to be a neonatal intensive care nurse for about a decade, shifted my whole world in life thanks to my own daughter's um, reading struggles back in the, and spelling struggles back in the 1990s. And um, so I really dedicate myself, especially to teaching teachers and training teachers and providing them a bridge from the research to the practice in the classroom so that we don't have millions. We have millions of adults, 43 million is, you know, what the most recent numbers are, millions of adults that are either illiterate or subliterate and they're suffering like David did for decades. So yeah, my, my work and passion is to help teach the world to read. And, and we're with you. Suffering. We're with you, Nora. I know you yeah. know we're with you. <laughs> yes, I do. And I appreciate you two very, very much. Yeah, same to you. Uh, I don't even know what I want to say right now. I agree with you. Like, I just, I got goosebumps listening to you, David. And it's just, it breaks my heart every time we hear a story like that. And whether it's a eight-year-old child or an 88-year-old adult or a 50-year-old adult, it still hits the same. You know, it it makes us very driven to continue to elevate stories like this and to help spark change in the education landscape with literacy. So, you know, before we dive in, thank you for sharing your story. That's definitely, I I imagine, not easy to share. And, um, you know, you're sharing it on a podcast, which is going to live in the world. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. So while you were talking, David, I actually pulled up um, one of John Corcoran's books, (laughs) The Reading Gap. There was a quote in there that I was I was actually looking at it the whole time we were talking to him too, but you just sparked it again for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just going to read a little bit of it if you guys don't mind. Um, but it says, a child of seven or eight is not likely to realize they have difficulties because they can't read. They will register only the difficulty itself, concluding that if they are constantly in trouble, they must be doing something wrong. A failing grade translates to a failing person. A bad student is bad, period. And that just like hit me hard because I I was a secondary teacher. So I think, you know, I think of all those students who probably felt that way. And it, I, you forget how deep it is, right. That like, this becomes a part of like how they see themselves and (laughs) their everyday feeling and not just a, oh yeah, I struggle at reading a little bit, but I mean, it is so deep of how they see their whole lives in school and outside of school and just who they are. It's who you are. Yeah. You shared, David, um, that you learned a lot through thinking and understanding throughout your life, not reading. And right, and that's what really helped mm-hmm. you to, to get where you are. Um, because what you mentioned, and this is related to your quote, Melissa, um, in our pre-call, David mentioned that when he was having a really hard time in education, um, he noticed that there were like two ways to deal with this or two ways to survive, if you will. And one was, and I I think we can, we can resonate, this resonates as teachers, Melissa. Like, so I'd love to hear what you think too, but one way to survive was to become aggressive and hostile, like Mm -hmm. angry at the world. Um, And the other way is to believe that life is a struggle and you just don't know any other way. So one way turns outward, right? You're angry at the world and, and everything's projecting versus you're turning inward and you're angry at yourself. And David, I believe you were option two. You were really angry at yourself because you didn't uh, project out at the world. Is that right? 
That's correct. And I, I have to really give credit to my mother, who was my support system, because prior to grade one, she had spent a lot of time with my brother and I at showing us how wonderful the world was, taking us to museums and looking at things and reading books together. Uh, or not together. She would read them. We didn't realize that I couldn't read them properly. But doing so many things and building and playing and, and thinking and creating that when I went to school, it was a situation of something's wrong here because I believed I was capable. Uh, I was happy. Uh, I loved life. And then all of a sudden I'm put into a system that wants to teach you through memorization and looking at a piece of paper and, and, and bringing this into your head and deciphering it and then memorizing it. And for someone undiagnosed, as I said, with ADHD, acute dyslexia, and a whole host of other things that came in that I found out later, you, you, you face a wall. And so as I would go home crying, wondering why uh, school was so difficult, why I was being bullied and beaten up literally every day, I begged my mom some days not to take me to school and, uh, or not to go to school. She started taking me to school to make sure I'd get there okay. And at that point in time back then, the school system actually told her she was not allowed to bring me to the school. I had to survive on my own. There were very different dynamics going on. Yeah. But I think what happened is when school was over and I would go home and I would start doing the creative things of building and playing and drawing, I saw these two worlds. And what my mom said to me is, David, School is so very important, but it's only the beginning of your life. And one day you will get through it. And every possibility is available to you. Just stay with it and do your best. And I chose to do that, even in the horrific pain and embarrassment and humiliation I faced my entire childhood. And what I found upon graduation, my life changed. I took life into my own hands. I became an airline pilot. Um, top rated and I became an entrepreneur and I don't want to say life was easy but in a sad way all the hell I had been through and the torment and the risk-taking of survival and getting you know trying to, to understand things so deeply became an attribute that I could use once I graduated now for many people in my situation they turn outward on the world and they get angry or become the class clown or reject mm -hmm. and push back and it doesn't work, as we can see. And many of those people do end up with a difficult life. And mm -hmm. there's one more point that I'll say, because, my God, it, 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 it threw me for a loop on graduation. About a week before high school graduation, even though I was just barely graduating, I got pulled into the counselor's office. And um, I remember his name was Mr. Hetherington. And he said to me in, in you know abbreviated form, David, um, we have to tell you, the world is going to be a tough place for people like you. Um, not even saying what I was because I wasn't diagnosed, but um, you need to be prepared for a life of challenge. You will either, and hard to believe he could say this, end up in jail or on the street and possibly dead. Because what they saw in me was a child who didn't want to learn rather than a child who could not learn in the rote memory system the way it was presented in a school. And if anything, that and all of the other things I told you projected me forward, not to prove to the world or really to prove to me, but to free myself 
of everything and be the person that I had developed over 12 years that was a capable thinker. And that's how I went forward. But my God, if I could have learned to read, write and spell, I can only imagine what I could have done. Yeah. And how much more pleasant your life would have been. (laughs) It's still challenging. I mean, people don't realize that even Mm -mm. when you become successful and you're, you're put in front of people all the time and, and especially in a digital age where everything is through a computer, uh, spelling and reading. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have anxiety all day long, every day after, since meeting Nora, it's down by 80%, but that's not what, people like me normally get to do work with someone like Nora. So I can say that no matter how much success you get, you live in fear of being outed. What Mm -hmm. that outing is, I outing is, I don't know, but just simply that someone's going to say, aha, you are stupid. And I knew it. And that is what you live with. You know, you really hit something there for me, David, of like, when you're talking, thinking, if a school sees that a student is struggling, like why isn't the immediate response, how can I help this student? And you really hit it when you said like they saw someone, they saw you as someone who didn't want to learn, right? And I just, I, I wonder how many students out there, and I don't think teachers are necessarily doing that on purpose, but I no, think that is like no. how they, they might see the student as the problem versus the right. way that they are teaching Mm -hmm. the student and they have big classrooms they have to manage and when Mm -hmm. there's a few people like me that take extra time and energy and then the results don't prove worth their while they tend to put you to the edge now i know these days it's changed a lot with assistance in the classroom and uh, different ways of taking testing but you know i'm going to be really brash and say it that i think there's still a big problem and that is the education system now has ingrained in it oh a way to handle these so-called problem children, even though we understand more about these learning disabilities, it's not so much a learning disability, it's a learning difference. And and what I mean by that is rote memory for certain brains, left brain people do fine in it. Right brain people, it's hard. If the system adjusted to the method like Nora teaches through Ebley, which brings it into the middle so that it is visual based as well too and it's not memorization we would excel but the systems and i'm not an expert on this but what i can see is the school systems the education systems have millions in budgets millions in dollars to continue to push the learning the way it's done and fit a square peg into a round hole children like me spending millions of dollars trying to make it work and never realizing that if they just change the approach from rote memory to an ability to understand reading by verbalizing and not just picking it up off the page, they wouldn't need to spend the millions. But therein lies the problem. Who's willing to give up? Is it the system or is it the money or is it the poor child who's suffering? Because no matter what assistance you give them, until you change the way the learning is done, they're not going to learn to read. Yeah. I think you bring up some good points, David. And, you know, we agree that the system does need some overhaul um, and that hopefully when that overhaul does happen, whether it be it's like, for example, I'm thinking um, Baltimore City adopted uh, some curricula that address 
and in the literacy space, right, that address exactly what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, Foundational skills, building knowledge, the whole suite of the science of reading. Um, But at the same time, it's helping. It's like the people part of it. How do we help teachers see that, you know, this stuff is the stuff that's aligned to science versus and really shift the system when sometimes the people are getting in the way, right? Because if I'm a teacher who's been teaching for 10 years and I've used a leveled reading approach, that it's really hard to shift that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we know it doesn't work to be like, just do this, right? That doesn't work either. Um, so you're right. It's that understanding piece and understanding the deeply and then seeing a little bit of success and then going back and thinking, oh gosh, okay, this was successful. Why was this successful? It just, it's hard because we don't have the time to do that because students, honestly, like you are, are falling through every day. And so, you know, we don't have time really to get everybody on board, but we have to get everybody on board. And then there's all of these additional things that we've talked about. You know, we've talked to people, um, you know, political experts such as Kimiana Burke in previous podcasts who are working at the, um, not political experts. What am I saying? Um, Melissa, what's the policy policy experts? Thank you. Who are, who are working at different levels to try to get things like this into policy. And, you know, it's like, we kind of need it all just to happen at once. And at the same time, you know, I lay in bed at night and think, why, why are things even on the market that don't work? Right? Why are we allowing that? I mean, we I could we could go down rabbit holes. Well, right well now. I know why. <laughs> I mean, it's, we know I, why. I'm part of it, it's profit and capitalism. At the end yeah. of the day, at the cost of the students, mm-hmm. you know, right. to, to tell you something I think should happen, and this is the only way you could parallel it in a timeline because children are being put through a system, and teachers have curriculum they have to meet. If there were teachers that were willing to say, I'll take on the extra work and, for example, learn what Nora's program actually teaches and see the results and then allow those teachers to to be their choice to do it in the classroom and not have to have the entire system change. And then look at the results that come from those teachers that are willing to take the time and effort to give the extra or the different education to the children. Look at the results that come out of it. And that might start the grassroots flow. I think it will be many years until anything ever comes top down because there's too much money, politics and control. But if there are people willing to do it and people like Nora are willing to teach them. I'm going to tell you, there are people there are. I mean, you know, we're in the science of reading Facebook groups and there are teachers who just, you know, are asking questions and they're asking great questions and they want to learn. And that is where, you know, I think we can, we can really capitalize on. Um, Melissa and I were just talking this morning, our recent podcast um, with a teacher who shifted her practice in teaching herself. Um, David, I think I sent it to you. She taught herself Mm -hmm. how to use the science of reading to teach her student, her kinder students foundational skills. And for the first time in her decade of teaching reached a hundred percent success and benchmark with her students. And it's not, I mean, it is, and it isn't rocket science, right? It's a lot of learning and a, a lot of effort, but she did it on her own. And, but the curricula that she has is not aligned to Right. science of reading principles at all. And so she shifted that just on her own and 
that's a risky thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, she it, could. It is. It, that's that's her. very risky. But it but shouldn't I, be, though. <laughs> no, it shouldn't be. So you know, this is what I'm throwing out there. There are teachers willing to do this, and I'm sure there are schools and districts and leaders in those communities that may want to change. We have a powerful tool, the internet now, that could bring these teachers and these, uh, I don't know what to call it, school regions or districts together that are willing to try it and make it public and let people see the results. And I can tell you, it is not more work. It is less work. It's the most magical thing I have ever been through. In four and a half days, my world changed. So rather than try to make an organized structure committee plan on how we're going to make this work, see who is out there that is willing to learn and see what school systems are willing to allow it to happen and then give that benefit to the children. And you will see what you said, 100% success rate in it. 90% would be wonderful, but we see such a, a huge fall off rate because we don't know where to start. The starting point is the children want to do it. Teachers want to do it, and some schools want to do it. Let's use the power of technology to bring them together, start it, show the results, and you know what? That's when the world changes, when they see the satisfaction and the joy that comes to the teachers and to the children for success in their life. Yeah. Nora, I'm interested, and I'm hopeful that you can articulate um, how you were able to support David in accessing um, you know, some text and some increased reading ability. And if you could share that with us, I think that would help unlock a little bit of um, what David is speaking to. Mm-hmm. Um, David presented very differently than the thousands and thousands, maybe tens of thousands of students that I've taught, you know, children and adults, in that his memory was, he w- he could memorize lists, of, you know, I did the Woodcock word identification, mm-hmm. which is a list of words. He was at a college level, 13.8 grade level, on the words that he could memorize on a list. However, when he went to read, and he's trying to pull these words out of his memory and trying to be fluent, he could not possibly be fluent because mm-hmm. David didn't have any idea whatsoever that the English language was an alphabetic code. He had no clue that, oh, these letters actually rep- represent sounds that we say. I would say 95% of kids that at our reading center and and even struggling kids, we teach, you know, whole classrooms of kids, but the ones that struggle, if they're in higher grades, um, are in adults too, reading typically at about a third grade level with those words that you memorize. That's typically where the memory takes you to. But he's brilliant beyond anyone (laughs) besides a cardiovascular surgeon I saw. They're both the kind of on the same level. (laughs) However, um, yeah, and both were very stunted in their fluency and and misreading words and that type of thing when when you get into text. But to go to accessing those sounds and words and matching the letters to them, it was like mind blowing for David. So that's where we did a lot of work. We did a lot of work with big long words. We did a lot of work with the, the concepts in English where the same sound, you know, the sound can be spelled in 20 different ways. We didn't look at all of them, but we looked at a lot of them actually in a sort type of thing, or the same letter can re- or letters can represent different sounds. So those concepts and then applying it in long words and then, um, uh, you know, learning the long words too, and then applying it in reading and in writing and spelling. So learning it explicitly, applying it. And, and he was amazing at how he could pick it up. The only, we had a huge stumbling block for how long would you say, David, about the first three and a half hours, maybe, where making a mistake, he would literally freeze like a statue. 
Mm-hmm. And with Ebley instruction, we have to create, we give instruction with the hope of making mistakes so that we could then guide them to fix them and move mm-hmm. higher. And anytime there was a mistake, it was like his entire brain left his body. He couldn't think. Mm-hmm. And so I had to be very, very careful to not teach the way that I always teach in making those mistakes because he's had six decades of trauma around that. Yeah. So we had a breakthrough on, uh, you know, after about four and a half hours or so, um, that I said, David, I'm really holding back where I should be at the moon with you because your anxiety is so tremendous. And if we can't get past that and I can't get you to make mistakes in a way that you'll actually learn from, we can't get anywhere. And it was really you know, traumatic and wonderful at the same time. I think you would agree, David, <laughs> where he talked to me about he was an elective mute for a couple of years and all the trauma that he has experienced, which is unbelievable. And the fear from the time he became an adult of being outed that all of these things just bring up such, you know, you know, he's had medical emergencies, all kinds of things from the anxiety that so used to be, I should say, so high in him. So teaching him that English is a code and then teaching him to apply it. And we have every minute of his instruction on video, which how courageous of him to do that, because it's I mean, it gives me chills all up and down my body to the fact that he agreed to do that. And then he actually did it to me is (laughs) is unbelievable. And and kudos to you, David, because he's going to help change the world by letting people see you know, what that exact, you can see what, how he was reading at the beginning and you can see how he was reading after about 11 or 12 hours of instruction. And you can see, like Nick said in our thing about the documentary, his entire being change, you know, mm-hmm. not, not just because it's a whole lot more than reading instruction. Um, you know, there's an awful lot more that's tied to it, especially the more years you get away from five and you feel that you're the problem as opposed to the instruction being the problem. So hundred yeah. percent. David, do you mind if I ask you, and if you feel uncomfortable sharing this, you don't have to, how old were you when you learned how to read? 62. (laughs) (sighs) Can I just, two months ago, (laughs) two months ago, (laughs) can can I just back up to what Nora said? I just want to like say this again in case people missed it which is that you know David you like you actually were all the words that you did know were all memorized like you just memorized every single like that just is mind-blowing to me right because if I get to a word I don't know I try and sound it out I try and figure out what it means you know I do all the stuff to do it but you, you had you didn't even know that that was a possibility you just like had a list of memorized words which is I'm pretty amazing that you did that. It it causes you so much anxiety and so much brain brain that I actually became a hypoglycemic because Mm. so much of your energy is burnt up. And as Nora said, I faced a lot of medical issues over time under stress because of how much my brain literally had to work to survive um, and understand what was going on in front of me. That reminds me of uh, one of Emily Hanford's APM reports. They interviewed, you know, Nora's nodding her head. She's like, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> they, they interviewed uh, a, chi- a child, a girl who was learning to read and or who had not learned to read and who then was learning and she was dyslexic and she did the exact same thing, David, the mm-hmm. exact same thing, memorized, memorized, memorized. 
I don't even know, like, how, how did you do that? There's so many words. Right. <laughs> you know, people have said to me over time that I, I, that I have very good grasp of the English language and they can't understand these problems I supposedly have. But when you, when you have to do something and you know, you, you don't know how to learn to read and you know, you can't spell and you know, your writing is terrible. But if there was a way to survive, which would be simply learn words and, you know, learn, learn a few a month, a year. I remember mm -hmm. back in my twenties, when I was first in business, I had a dictionary beside my desk and I looked up every word I didn't understand. I couldn't spell it. I mean, think about it. Dyslexia, what a word to use for people who can't read. I couldn't even spell that word. Right. Oh, gosh, I, yeah. I took it upon myself to learn words. And that's what Nora said. I have an extensive vocabulary, but I don't know how to read it. I don't know how to decipher it. I didn't know there was a code. In school, all I remember was A, B, C, D, E, F, G, not A, B, K. Mm -hmm. Nora taught I me that Good job, letters, <laughs> letters have sounds and you're not, you shouldn't be learning them as the ABCs. You should learn all the different ways they can sound. And what Nora's magic is, she would get me to say a word and I could hear the sounds of the word. And as soon as I understood how to transcribe that onto paper, so coming from auditory, which I had mm -hmm. onto paper, I'm spelling and then taking it off the paper, I'm reading. So that's really what we're doing. We're encoding it onto paper and deciphering it. But the education system that I went through, and most people do, is decoding from paper using A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and trying to get that to stay in your mind. And it, it didn't work for me, and it doesn't work for more than, I don't know how many Nora said, you know, 40 million people in the U US alone. Right. So that's just the adults. The adults, let alone the children who are suffering. So for me, I, 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 I guess I can say the fortunate thing was I realized that knowing words could help me. And then as soon as I understood the power of knowing the words, how easy it would be to learn to read and write and spell. And I, if I can say one thing, yes, the worst of all of it is spelling. One of the reasons I became an entrepreneur is I couldn't fill out a job application. One of the reasons I became an airline pilot when I was 18 is because you didn't write in the cockpit. You spoke over a microphone. Everything mm -hmm. in my mm -hmm. life was, was about terrible. getting me away from pen and paper and book to go verbal. David, can you share your score on your uh, entry test to the uh, to flight school? I'm not. Am I saying it right? Yeah. Your, yeah, your yeah. airline pilot school? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when I was averaging in school between 39 and, you know, 62%, when I took it upon myself to learn and learn in a, a visual way, I achieved 100% on my commercial flight license. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. oh, so I would love to know how your life has improved since in the last two months. Like what has become easier? Um, what... I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to leave that open to you. I'm, I just, it's so intriguing and I, I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> Goosebumps more often, just about life in general, feeling more a part of life. My anxiety is cut by 70%, but that's just the beginning. I, 
I don't even know how to answer it. I'm so engaged in life again, wanting to go back into business. I mean, some people retire at my age. I'm still 20 years away from retirement, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> maybe longer now, because my emails and texts have gone from one and two words to actual sentences and paragraphs. Oh, wow. Sure, I make the odd spelling mistake, but you know that's oh, what spell check do. is. Yeah, we all, all do. <laughs> but I'm harder on myself. So now I'm engaging. I'm yeah. I'm I'm taking. I'm taking those steps to have me get more joy in my life. And that means the moment I feel I'm doing something, I engaging with people and communicating. And most of that is done through computers that once I joined onto that bandwagon, uh, I, I can't explain it. Things it's like the universe just opened up in front of me and said, welcome. I'd like to share on that. This I keep this by my desk. This is actually on the last day because spelling yes. is obviously reading. I think I showed you guys this. Can I read this from David? On the last day, I said, I'm going to walk out of the room and I want you to write me a note. And nor if I had have said that five days before, it would have been like, I would, I would never write a note <laughs> more than five words long. And so I said, I'm going to go back and get some coffee or whatever I was going to do. And I want you to say your sounds as you write. And I want you to write and don't worry about the spelling because I'll fix it. By the way, there were zero spelling errors. And I, I just want to read this because this is what he said. I want, you know, I wanted him to tell me it was at the very end. So he's, we were both brain fried. Troy said, just tell me, you know, how do you feel about this whole, you know, situation? Mm -hmm. He said, dear Nora, a profound experience like nothing I have ever encountered before has occurred over the prior six days. I'm actually at a loss for words as I write this down. The emotion I am feeling has gripped me far more than I would ever have believed possible. I am elated with the outcome and look forward with excitement to the future, knowing possibility has surfaced within me to a point of jubilation. How's that? Jubilation. He I was going right. to say some of these words. <laughs> Pretty impressive, right? Thank you from my core. Yeah, and he spelled every single one of them right. I have it right here. Somebody said, can you slack that? And I'm like, I don't know Can you? what you can do with something that has whiteboard marker on it, but I definitely- Take a picture it. of it for sure. Oh, I Take definitely a have picture. a picture. Yeah. Yeah, I have a picture of it for sure. But yeah, that's what can happen if you have instruction that actually really works, you know? Not to mention all that emotional piece and everything else in life. But I noticed at the end too- I said, David, you haven't said anything about it being anxious. He we, he'd had a lot of anxiety around the airport. We we're going back there. I'm like, you haven't even asked me a question about the airport. And he's like, I'm not anxious. But you were anxious on the way there because. Oh, my God. I don't travel by myself because of all the, the ticketing, the, 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 signs, the screens, the, the signs. Yeah. And so Nora guided me from the moment I left my house on FaceTime through the airports, through the check-in, everything. I've always had. When I was successful, I had executive assistants to help me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and lately, and especially during COVID, there wasn't anyone to guide me. She mm -hmm. booked, checked, organized, strategized everything for me to get there. And I arrived with anxiety, but I got there okay on the way home. As she said, yeah, I just did it. And I, it sounds like nothing to the average person, but my life was ruled by what I can do when I'm out in public trying to read and understand directions. And, and he came from Canada, which was a whole oh David my goodness. and I had never talked until like two months before he got here. <laughs> Maybe even less than that. I don't know. But he, and that was a huge rigmarole to all the COVID yeah. stuff because you can't leave Canada or you can't get back into Canada either. Right. So yeah. There was a lot with that. So that greatly increased the anxiety too. And John Corkin and I kept saying, I don't, you think he's going to come? I don't know. This is kind of a lot. <laughs> Yeah. And like you said, that's just stuff that, you know, so many of us take for granted, right? That's just, we just 
do it so easily going through our days. And can you tell I, him, David, about the two planes that you, the destinations that you got to that were not the correct ones? Oh boy! Uh, yes, <laughs> hard, hard to hard to believe. It's embarrassing, but uh, twice, and I don't know how. This was probably 15, 20 years ago when they didn't check it. Oh no, more than twenty because it was before nine eleven. They didn't check your ticket or your your loading area quite so well. <laughs> I got on two flights and ended up in the wrong city. I was going oh to gosh. do a talk on technology, which I speak on. One time I ended up in Florida. One time I ended up in the Midwest. And there were other times uh, when I almost got on the wrong plane or, you know, I'd say 20% of the time the wrong gate or I would read the numbers backwards. Gate 23 is actually gate 32. Right, right, right. No one ever checked. Uh, I would just sit there plane would load, I would go up and I'd say, oh, your flight left from gate 23 about half an hour ago. This was my life. And you just hope and you don't panic and you don't get angry. You just know that that is life. I think, you know, I think as much as many people who are listening and who are like, like can relate to the, yeah, you know, I, I take, I take that for granted. I think there's also a lot of people listening who can either relate to your story, David, or relate to having somebody or maybe more than one person in their life who it can, you know, has your story. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I also want to just stamp that, that as many people who are listening and thinking, oh, wow, you know, I took that for granted. There's also a lot of people listening who are thinking, I know someone, I have a family member who, you know, now this might be. That might be a different view. Yeah, (laughs) there are people listening who are in your shoes, so I don't want you to feel alone here. You know, no, there's pain, embarrassment, anxiety, humiliation. I used to tell people from the moment I get out of bed until I tuck myself back in, I have to work a day to survive. And I know for many people that they can't comprehend what that would be like. But I know for those 40 million adults they have a good understanding of what I'm talking about mm-hmm. life. And for lots of kids in our schools, yes. for so yes. many kids in our schools who we don't have the number for. And it right doesn't now. have to be that way. I would travel on a plane tomorrow without even flinching. Just after going through what I went through with Nora, it changed. Yeah. I don't think people can believe that you can change that quickly, but you can, yeah. when you are inspired, you can do anything. And I was inspired. Well, I don't, I think you even didn't, well, I know you didn't believe that you could change that quickly. We spent a lot of time <laughs> in the budget. Like, what is going on? Here? I mean, how can that big of a transformation? Obviously I saw it too. And his, it's, it was in his speech. It was in everything. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't get how he's the reading thing and the spelling thing is unbelievable, but how has this changed my whole inner being? That's yeah. strange. And it isn't, yeah. it isn't a difficult learning. It's an understanding. And as soon as you understand a code of why it works and how it works, all of a sudden, everything else that is weighing down on you moves away because you say, my God, I understand how it works. It isn't, there isn't layers and layers of learning and, <laughs> and you know, uh, little acronyms you have to learn. None of that. It's simply that, oh, my God, it's like going to the other side of the mirror and seeing what's really there. And I saw mm-hmm. it and I went, OK, it's all different now. Mm-hmm. A good a good friend of mine and Melissa's, too, I think. Um always says literacy is currency. And it really, like, I think I just keep thinking that as you're talking, David, like it is, it is the currency that we need to give every single person in this world. Like, let's just leave it there. You know, 
my success came from my passion and risk-taking that was beaten into me as a child. The failures that I had were the currency of not reading, writing, and spelling properly. And I can remember many of them that would knock me backwards so far that some people would not have picked themselves up. But at the same time, what was beaten into me to survive got me back on my feet. Not a happy way and not, not a fulfilling way to go through it. But what I saw was if I hadn't, if, if I could have, if I could have the energy, passion and motivation that I have, and many people have it, but could overcome the fear, worry and anxiety of being outed for what people can say about you. I truly, not that I needed anything more for joy, but I feel like I could have changed the world. Hmm. Well, David, your story is just so incredibly powerful <laughs> and obviously with Nora's support. And we, we just can't thank you enough for sharing with our listeners today and with us today. And uh, before you leave, though, <laughs> you know that we always ask all of our guests to leave one piece of advice for our listeners. So if you, I don't know, piece of advice for someone that could relate to your story or to our teachers out there. Um, we'd love to hear what advice you have. Know that you have it within you to change a person's life by simply supporting and encouraging them the way my mother did for me. If learning is a challenge, systems like Nora's can change everything, but most important is self-esteem. And without that fundamental part of self-esteem, what my guidance teacher told me that I would end up in the street or possibly dead is an outcome because without it, you're worthless to yourself. So, so, so powerful. Thank you. Nora, do you want to add any advice this time? No, yeah. (laughs) I want to piggyback on something that you guys had said as far as family or somebody you know probably is a struggler. David, when he was coming here, many the people in his family were like, you don't have a problem with reading. Why oh, wow. Why are you going to do that? So oh, I think I yeah. want to point it out very clearly to say once you hit high school or so, maybe even middle school, you become an expert, an absolute expert at deceiving people on what's going on. Mm-hmm. So the people in your world who say, oh, I don't spell very well, or oh, why don't you, I don't have my glasses. Will you read that for me? Or mm, I'm not a very good reader. I have to, I don't comprehend so well. Those people, many of them won't even say that much, but you have many, many people in your world, every single one of them, maybe including yourself of someone who's listening to this, who are struggling and you have absolutely no idea of mm-hmm. what that is in the, in the, how extensive the impact of it is on everything from reading a menu to go, going on an airplane, to reading your prescriptions, to a birthday card. You know, you can't read a love letter from somebody that you love. You Everything, the literate world puts you, you're on the outside looking in type of thing, and you can't get there. And so I think understanding that this, you know, in the 43 million adults is really illiterate people. There's a whole lot more that are subliterate. They're like, yeah, I can get through it if I kind of have to. But this is an epidemic of huge proportions in our country. And if we take care of it, when these kids are five and six and seven, we get, we eradicate that whole thing. So I think that's exciting. That is. And Laura, you made me think too of teachers who definitely have students who are 
having those say, you know, finding those coping mechanisms along the way. So the teachers might not even have a full understanding of where they're. And they begin that very, very, we see that in our reading center. They're very, at a young age, they begin that hiding and deception and in all, because they think that it's their fault and there's something wrong with them. And it's a shame-based secret. Like I should be ashamed because I'm doing something wrong or there's something, you know, wrong with me, which is not true, of course. Absolutely. We can't thank you both enough. We, I mean, I've teared up twice during this no. podcast and uh, I'm, we're just so grateful, David. Like, thank you. We, we can't thank you enough. Congratulations on your success all around, both in life and in reading and <laughs> everything. And thank you for being brave enough to share this story. We, we really are just honored that you agreed to do this with yeah. us. So thank you so much. And now I'm even more excited for the documentary. So we are just super hopeful and excited for the documentary to elevate all of this stuff. Right, Melissa? Absolutely. All of these stories who that we have not heard, but that are so impactful and necessary. For sure. Yes. Thank you again, Nora, for being a part of that documentary and sharing it with us. And we can't wait to see it. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate the work you guys are doing. Thank you both so much. Have a wonderful rest of your days and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye.